your hour of thrive time begins now with your host jay mamey on the jay mamey talk show Good day, everyone, and welcome once again to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. This is Jay Mamie, and you have now entered your hour of Thrive Time here on Independence Day weekend. We're excited here in the U.S. We're celebrating July 4th tomorrow. So this is the Independence Day show. I'm theming today's show, folks, Freedom Through Multiple Expressions. That's the theme of today's show, and we're going to tackle freedom today from different perspectives, from different ways to understand the value of the freedom that you have. And, you know, freedom is something that is cherished by everyone everywhere. But we're going to talk about different freedoms today as it pertains to business and life and personal experiences. And my featured guest today to kick off the show about freedom and the different perspectives is someone who's going to speak on the freedom of entrepreneurship. Josh Tolley is not only the premier speaker on this subject matter, but he's the chairman of his own company, Tolley and Company. He's a show host. He's a three-time Amazon best-selling author. He's a global speaker, a behavioral strategist, and the guy has been on all the major networks, all the major programs, 37 million views and over 100,000 attendees at his programs. I can't think of someone better to speak about the freedom of entrepreneurship on this 4th of July, Independence Day weekend here in the U.S. than Josh Tolley. Josh, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. It is a pleasure and a joy to be with you today. Well, I appreciate you taking time. Now, you've got a busy schedule, and we've got a lot to unwrap here. But, Josh, before we go ahead and get started, let's get our listeners up to speed by sharing with us a little bit about yourself. Sure, yeah. So, um it kind of started when I was 12 years old. I started this entrepreneurial journey. Uh, when I graduated from high school, I barely graduated. I was reading at a seven-year-old level, and I was so shy that I couldn't order a hamburger from McDonald's. Matter of fact, I couldn't do that until I was 19 years old. So I was not what most people would think would be a, a great entrepreneur. No real formal education, illiterate, and shy. But I knew entrepreneurship was the only way to make it. Uh, one of the things that I was reading when I was teaching myself how to read was the Forbes 400. And I noticed out of the 400 wealthiest people, none of them got there by having a job, not one of them. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, number one, number two, number five, and number seven all dropped out of school. And there were two people on the list who never even made it to high school. So I quickly realized that this whole idea of going to school, going to college, getting good grades, getting a job was terrible. And I started my first legal business three days after high school. It failed. And, you know, one of the interesting things is people think failure in entrepreneurship is a bad thing. It's not. Failure in employment is terrible. Mm. If you fail as an employee, your odds of getting a good job next time go down. Uh, And if you fail again, it goes down yet again. But if you're an entrepreneur and you fail, your odds of success in the next business go up. If you fail in the second one, the third business, the odds are even higher. And I know billionaire investors who will not invest in a startup unless the founder has been bankrupt at least once. So anyway, um, by the time I got into my early 20s, I started getting the hang of this thing and became quite successful. I was on business number four, and I was starting to help other people kind of make this transition to entrepreneurship. And I remember sitting down across the table from a couple in their 30s. They had a couple kids, and we got their business to the point where they could leave their day jobs and just be entrepreneurs, and they started crying. And I said, what are you crying for? Because at 20, 21, I was in business for girls and cars, right? (laughs) And they said, we've been praying for something to change. 
And that's when a light bulb went off in my head. I started thinking, how many other people go to bed every night thinking, is this all life is? Mm-hmm. So I really became passionate about entrepreneurship. I still bought, built, and sold my own companies. But at the same time, I really started helping other people too. So fast forward, uh, like you said, I've written a number of books. Uh, the best-selling one out of those is Evangelpreneur by mm-hmm. far. And uh, hosted my own um, talk show for nine and a half years. I've uh, done a bunch of media, Fox Business, all that sort of stuff. And it's it's just one of those things where my passion is really showing people and proving to people how entrepreneurship is for everybody. I remember I took a group out in Florida, and I said, okay, let's let's get rid of everything in our pockets. Pretend we're starting with nothing, no phone, no wallet, no nothing. How would you make sure you're not homeless by tonight? And by lunch, we made 40 grand. We have so overcomplicated entrepreneurship, it's not even funny. You know, I like what you said earlier on about in most jobs, if you screw up, you're done, right? Yep. And it follows you wherever you go. It follows you wherever you go. It's a, It taints a, a tremendous shadow on your potential and certainly your credibility. But as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, I've always said that it is the only opportunity, the only career, the only way to make a living that is forgiving. It's yeah. a way to make a living that is forgiving. You can make entrepreneurial mistakes and you'll be forgiven. Make employment mis- employee mistakes and you've got a tough road ahead of you. So I really appreciate you saying that because that's something that I have echoed for many, many years in my life. When do you believe that most people begin to exhibit this spirit of entrepreneurism? Um, typically around three or four years old. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really, really young. People ask me all the time, you know, are entrepreneurs special? Not everybody can be an entrepreneur, right? And, and that's an absolute lie. Everybody is born an entrepreneur. And if you don't believe me, go to any daycare, kindergarten class anywhere on the planet. And I've seen many different cultures. It's true everywhere. Those four- and five-year-olds will be entrepreneurs. And they'll be trading their baseball cards, their jelly sandwiches. Mm-hmm. They'll be making deals. If, if you let me into the clubhouse, I'll give you a cookie. It's us, the adults, that actually beat it out of them. And we, sell, we tell them, stop trading your jelly sandwich. Stop selling your sister's dolls. We are the <laughs> ones that beat entrepreneurship out of people. Everybody's born an entrepreneur, and it starts usually around three, three to four. You know, I'd have to agree with that because even with my own son, he's 11 years old now, but at five or six, he was trying to convince me to give him a dollar to clean his room. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. That's exactly it. God has God has built it into humanity to be entrepreneurial. You know, that's that's a, a very key point, and we're going to talk about faith and, and what the Scriptures teach about living an entrepreneurial life because I've also written a book years ago called The Entrepreneur's Devotional, and I know oh, you're yeah. a man of faith, and and we share that in common as well. And and there, you don't have to go very far to other than opening up what the scriptures say about what we, all of us have as a God-given innate ability to create something, right? Except that we end up giving the best of what we have in terms of creativity to someone else. And we're going to talk a little more, more about that. But why is it that the academic world, whether it's grammar school, middle school, high school, certainly college and academia— why they've gotten so far away from emphasizing entrepreneurial creativity? Because that's what they get paid on. Uh, you can trace educational reforms back, and you'll find that right around the Industrial Revolution, the really big players, the Carnegies, the, the Mellons, the Fords, they actually started paying school districts to create employees. Prior to that, what we would do is we would go to school to learn reading, writing, and arithmetic, 
and you know by lunch Laura Ingalls was working in in the mill with her dad once the industrial revolution came along these these robber barons came along and said hey we need employees so if you become little employee factories creating real employees for our factories we'll give you a bunch of money and they said yes sir just tell us how and he said well my factory works from about a quarter to 8 till about 3:45. So they started doing school from quarter to eight to 3:45, and it was all about repetition, repetition, repetition. And we really saw that swing take its next step in uh, the New Deal. Coming out of the Great Depression, we were still mostly entrepreneurs and some employees. After that, that's when it switched. That's when it flipped, and we went to mostly employees and some entrepreneurs. Well, at that point education made the final leap. I have a textbook right here in my office from 1929. It was the last math textbook before the New Deal. And the first chapter of this seventh grade math book is paying your laborers. The second chapter is setting up your business. The third chapter is calculating profit margins. We used to teach kids, unless you're an idiot, you're going to leave school and be an entrepreneur. Now it's the exact opposite. That math book is going to have hundreds of pages of repetition, 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 and we're taught only the foolish, weird kids are going to go be entrepreneurs. The rest of you make the smart decision and get careers. And I, I, I echo that because I remember where I heard once that at the turn of the century in this country, you came here as, as those who came to the United States with a dream of building a business. But somewhere along the lines, and you've just described exactly how that happened, somewhere along the lines, becoming an entrepreneur, running your own business, got the short end of the stick. And we went from developing an employer mindset to an employee mindset. And even today, although some universities are starting to offer you uh, courses in entrepreneurial uh, creativity, entrepreneurial expression, here we are almost 100 years later, and we still have an overarching population that thinks that uh, working for someone else is the way to achieve uh, financial peace of mind, financial uh, peace at home. And we've got a long way to go, don't we? Oh, my gosh, yes. There, there's no financial security with employment. None. Zero. Zip, zilch, nada. I don't care if you make four hundred grand a year. You are so at risk, it's not even funny. Uh, there was even a study done that said if you, by the time you hit 65, you have a 98% chance of being dead or broke regardless of the amount of money you're paid as an employee because you're an employee. And there's a number of reasons for that. First, your your financial planner lied about the rule of 72. Your retirement plan's not going to cut it. Secondly, employment can never keep up with the actual rate of inflation. So as you march through time, you're actually losing money. And it's it's just crazy. Not only that, it is 100% outside of your control. I don't care if you're making you know, $500,000 a year as a senior engineer at Boeing, if the CEO of that company makes a stupid decision or a plane crashes and nobody knows why, guess what? You're out of a job. And it had nothing to do with how well or skilled you are. So, yeah, there's, there's absolutely no security in, um, in employment. I remember I was checking into a Dallas hotel, and this uh, gentleman recognized me who was checking me in. And he said, hey, you're the guy on TV tell, telling people they need to be entrepreneurs. I said, yeah. He says, well, that's risky because, you know, 80% of businesses fail. And I said, well, that's true. But 98% of employees fail. I'm already 18 points ahead of you. Good luck. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. In, in one of your talks, you said something that I found fascinating. You said that in this country right now, you need to earn about $70,000 a year to be broke. Yep. 
Now, now, sh- yep. share that. Share a little bit about that because that's just fascinating the way that you put that together. And I thought to myself, "Whoa, this is pretty cool." So I am, I am all about numbers, right? I'm all about logic. I don't put emotion into any of this this business stuff. And I kept hearing people say, "Well, you know, poverty officially is eighteen thousand five hundred dollars a year." And I'm thinking, man, I know people who make thirty six seven who can't find two sticks to rub together. Where are you getting eighteen five? So I went and I just said, what are the 12 foundational expenses? I'm not talking about jets and Ferraris. I'm talking about just foundational expenses. And this is what I found. Housing, $1,000. Car insurance, 144 Cell phone, 73 Utilities, 264 Cable and internet, 100 Food, 332 Gas, 220 Car payment, 466 College loans, 575 uh, Retirement, 385 Retirement savings. Now, this is a myth list because only half America only has $500. So I'm already dreaming, right? <laughs> Life insurance, 33 Health insurance, 402 Nothing crazy on that list. Not even close. So I hope you someplace warm. That list added up is $69,600. And that's for a single male adult. So it takes $70,000 to be broke in America. Yet if you look up the top 10 earning college degrees, guess what you'll find? Seven of them don't even qualify for broke. And that's the problem we need to realize. $250,000 a year in this country is now considered affluent poor. So we have to get off of this idea that somehow 70, 80, 100 grand a year is you're doing okay. You're not. This is why the average family has $15,000 of credit card debt, yet they make $59,000 because it finally gets them beyond that $70,000 marker. You know, with so much overwhelming statistics and data, you would think that people will start to think differently about how they're going to invest their time and energy over the next 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but somehow they're not connecting the dots. And I think there's a challenge with that. That's why the work that you're doing, Josh, is so critical. Oh, but you, thank you, brother. Oh, yeah, listen, it's my, it's, and I mean that with, with uh, wholeheartedly. We're both men of faith. I mentioned earlier yep. that we wrote a book. I wrote a book called The Entrepreneur's Devotional a number of years ago. It's actually going to be in a, in a second edition um, coming up now and still read by people all over the world. I take thank you. I took I take scriptures that speak about uh, the life that you and I live. But what fires you up more about anything when you read scriptures that actually teach people what they should focus on in terms of finding their calling? Man, that is such a great question because from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible actually tells us to be entrepreneurs, and it actually tells us not to be employees. And I'm serious about this. When you look in Matthew. It, it talks about how uh, you cannot serve God and money because you'll love one, hate the other, hate one, love the other. And we think serving money means the rich guy or the guy who's making a ton of it. No, it's actually the opposite. There's only four types of people in the Bible, a master, laborer, servant, and slave. For the sake of time, master's the rich guy on top of the hill. We know who he is. Uh, slave is captive, doesn't have a choice. But that leaves us with two, servants and laborers. Now, the Bible says do not be a servant to money, which means you have a choice. We think servants are somehow slaves. They weren't. They weren't in biblical times. They're not today. A servant had to start his shift. Typically, in biblical times, they would work a 10 to 12-hour day. Uh Uh-oh. They started that shift when the master said so. When do we have to go to work? They could leave that shift when the master said so. When do you get to go home? If they saved up enough money, they could buy their retirement. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And if they love their master, they could go to the city gate, put an all through their ear, take their master's mark, and be theirs for life. Today we call that tenure and pension. So serving money from a biblical standpoint is employment. It's, and I know that hurts. I know that's like a kick in the gut to a lot of listeners, but that's actually what it is. What servant had a lot of money? When you hear people say, well, the rich guy's serving money. No, he's not. not. Not at all. The first billionaire I met actually said, Josh, money is like air. You, when you have enough of it, you don't even think about it. Mm. But if I were to choke you, what is the only thing you're thinking about? You're not thinking about, oh, you know, I hope my wife has a wonderful life. I hope the kids work. No, you're only thinking about air. So that's the reality. Most of us in our employment is serving money. The same is true with greed. Greed is not the guy who's flying on a $20 million jet and giving $40 million away to charity. That's not greed. Greed is saying my church is important, my kid's school is important, my family is important, but I'm going to move three hours away for five more dollars an hour. That's greed. Well put. Well put, Josh. I have to imagine that the reason why your latest book, your most popular book, rather, Evangelpreneur, Uh, is so popular is because it's resonating with a lot of people. Why do you think that is? Well, because I think in Christianity, we've been caught between two lies. On one side, we have this prosperity gospel stuff, you know, the the say the right prayer, buy the magic, magic handkerchief, spin around three times, poof, you're a millionaire. And then on the other side, we have poverty gospel where money's not important, don't worry about it. Uh, but, you know, make sure to give 10% on your way out. And in the reality is the actual gospel where God tells Abraham, be an entrepreneur, where he tells Adam, be an entrepreneur, where he tells David, be an entrepreneur, where even Jesus himself uses entrepreneurship as an example of those who get into heaven. There's a reality to this that has just been ignored because we're missing the actual truth. Now, when I say be an entrepreneur, I am not talking about needing that $20 million jet. Not at all. If you read Evangelpreneur, never in there do I tell you anything that would be you know, Ferraris and rah-rah sort of stuff. I'm not that sort of guy. But what I do explain is how, look, you're either going to control money or money's going to control you. And if you're employed, it is controlling you. Point blank, period, end of sentence, mic drop. If you're an entrepreneur, even if you're making $50 a day as an entrepreneur, you're controlling it. It means you can make it to the kid's soccer game. You can make it to, to spend time with your wife. Money doesn't have to be the priority that you spend 40 hours a week trying to get and then lying to everybody and telling, it, telling people it's not important. Well put. Well put, Josh. Josh, yeah. we've got about a minute left here, brother. Can people go to your website to find out what your schedule looks like? Yeah, yeah. They can go to joshtolley.com, J-O-S-H-T-O-L-L-E-Y.com, or they can go to purplemonkeygarage.com. Josh, we appreciate you being on the show. We'll be in touch, and we'll be visiting you when you come to Dallas, brother. Thanks again for being on the show. Thank you so much. Be blessed. You too, brother. Bye-bye. Folks, we'll be right back after the break. What's holding you back from achieving your dreams? Your boss? Limited income? Business ownership can fix that. Owning your own business with a proven track record of success is the very definition of franchising. My name is Rudy Federico, and I'm a 30-year veteran of franchising. As a franchise consultant, I help people achieve their dreams by connecting them with the right franchise business for their circumstances. To learn more, visit my website, FranchiseWithRudy.com. My name is Rudy, helping entrepreneurial dreams come true. Hey guys, your website sucks. At least dealing with it probably does. And your website is the center of your marketing universe. So that's really not good. Your website lives in the weird world of the geek. 
which is a realm that is almost inaccessible to normal humans like yourself. Since 2004, your web guys have been bridging the gap between small business owners and their web presence. Because at your web guys, we will build your website so you can build your business. Here's the deal. We will go over 268 checkpoints on your website, which will tell you what's wrong and how to fix it. Go to WebsiteHealthCheck.net to get this great value. Friends, this is Jay Mamie, and I'm thrilled to announce that our merchandise site is now open for business just in time for the holidays. My inspirational quotes, encouragement words, and thought-provoking phrases can be printed on a number of very cool items to help you stay in thriving mode. Make sure to visit my website, thejmamie.com. Look for the store link. Check out the items. Once again, that'll be at thejmamie.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the J. Mamie Talk Show. In studio, I'm super excited about today's theme of freedom and the many expressions and perspectives of freedom. And one of them is really being able to master freedom from fear, among other things. And one of our experts who's in our studio today, Ron Holloway, is the CEO and founder of Arrow Coaching, LLC. He's an anti-fragility coach, a consultant, and a well-known speaker on the subject matter. Excited to have him on today's show. Ron, welcome to the J. Mamie Talk Show. Jay, thank you so much for the opportunity, brother. Glad to be here. Ron, before we dive into everything you're going to share, I'd like to hear a little bit about your story. It's pretty interesting. Uh, okay, cool. Well, you know, talking about yourself is one of those things you got to be careful with. Right, you don't want right. to do too much, <laughs> not right. too little. Correct. <laughs> uh, so starting off, no man is an island. Mm-hmm. So I've got a beautiful wife and family, mm. and I would not be here without my wife. All right, man. Uh, professionally, I started off, most of my adult life in the State Department's Bureau of Diplomatic Security. Mm -hmm. I was a DSS special agent. Uh, We focus on protecting diplomacy, which is our real uh, first line of defense. Mm -hmm. And that's my tribe or those guys. Okay. Uh, Education-wise, I hold a master's degree in leadership and organizational development from the UT of Dallas, emphasis in coaching. And crisis leadership-wise, I'm a graduate of Harvard's National Preparedness Leadership Initiative. Awesome. That's quite the resume. And I'll tell you what, with a support system like that, you cannot fail, brother. You cannot fail. But I'm interested in knowing what inspired you then to launch Arrow Coaching LLC. So I started my work really to protect my tribe. Okay. Uh, I wake up every morning and I say, why do I try? Mm. And it's the same answer. Provide for, protect, and prepare those I love. Mm. You know, and I had a health condition. We don't have to go too deep into it, but went blind, some brain damage, and I had to rebuild myself. And I said, I will rebuild myself better than I was. Okay. And as far as protecting my tribe, my kids can have this. Mm -hmm. And we have four agents going into fitness for duty evaluations every month, mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And whatever I can do to help them, Mm. that comes back to me, right? Mm -hmm. Get back what you put out. Correct. Um. You know, I I have faith, and I prayed that if I received the strength I needed to endure long enough to learn the lesson, I would teach it to others. And I'm go. very blessed that I get to talk today, so thank you getting the message out. There you go, brother. Well, you know, there's always a reason why people do things. They're inspired by something. They're either running towards something or running away from something. And in this case, you were running towards it, which is the right approach. But you talk to people about fear, and, and this is a show that we're talking about freedom and the many perspectives of freedom. How does your work help people become free from fear? Okay, well, let's start off by, you know, the different 
definitions of fear, right? Mm-hmm. So some people, it's kind of esoteric, uh, right? Fear, fear of whatever. I think of it as physiological. Okay. Right. So it's our distress system, our freeze, flight, fight, fright, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how that can trump our ability to reason, make good decisions, see opportunities during crisis, which I just call change, and live healthier lives. Okay. And how getting over Fear and making more good decisions than bad decisions. Good point. And especially in high stakes, turns everything around. Mm. Our health, our mental health, everything. Fear is, is crippling. You're right. And part of it being not only mentally, it, it's physiologically crippling, right? Uh, when you struggle with fear. So becoming free free of that is critical. But where do you find that fear exists in the corporate culture you do a lot of corporate training and environment training in that setting where do you find fear creates havoc you know it's you have different sources of fear right Mm -hmm. so there's fear of loss right you know you're afraid you're going to lose your business so Mm -hmm. your imagination goes that route Mm. Uh, there's fear of harm that we all know of and that could be physical harm it could be harm to our ego right and uh, fear of the unknown and I bring in this idea of fear of the unknown. We fear what we don't understand. All we have to fear is fear itself. So if I can help people understand fear, process fear, mm-hmm. get beyond fear, and then become anti-fragile. And where it is in a company, it's in the example that leadership sets because their emotions are contagious. It's also in your culture. The bricks that you make, what I call the inner citadel. When you talk about fear um, as one of the byproducts of anti-fragility, I want to talk about that a little bit. And we're going to circle back to fear because that's an interesting. When you and I first met, I had never heard of anti-fragility until you schooled me on it. But for our listeners, what's anti-fragility and how should those in leadership address this unknown a demon or unknown uh, enemy that that roams in their in their uh, in their environment. Right. So, first, let's look at an analogy. Okay. And I have to make a caveat. I didn't create this term. No, it's fine. It was an economic trader named Nassim Taleb mm-hmm. wrote the book on it. Mm-hmm. I took it down to the personal level. Okay. But I'm going to use an analogy, a story we all know, to address fear and okay. anti fragility. Okay. So three little piggies, right? Mama Piggy says, boys, you got to go out on your own. I'm going to the big pigsty in the sky. She gives him some money. Piggy one, he goes out, builds a house out of straw, buys a big string TV, and gets a Corvette, right? Piggy two, he makes a house out of wood. Got a little more protection. Maybe he's a little scared, puts money in the bank. Piggy three's got his priorities straight. And he says, okay, what do I need to survive, first of all? So I need oxygen within three minutes. I need water within three days. I need food within three weeks, protection from the elements, and protection from predators. Mm-hmm. And with that, he builds a house of bricks. So he's got that protection from predators. And one day that wolf, and that wolf comes in all kinds of forms for us, that wolf comes and he goes to that first piggy first, blows his house down, right? Let me in, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. Boom, blows the house down. First piggy's eaten. So that first piggy is fragile. He gets hit. He doesn't come back. Second piggy goes to his house. Knock, knock, knock. Let me in. 
Blows, doesn't go down the first time. Blows again, the house goes down. The piggy had time to get out and get to the third piggy's house and he can rebuild. But he gets knocked down, but he can come back. And he's resilient, Mm -hmm. right? He runs to the third piggy's house. Third piggy lets him in. He's got some intel that the wolf's coming. And, Mm -hmm. And the leadership moment is second piggy is freaking out. Third piggy's a leader. And he says, okay, this piggy's going to cue off my, my emotions. I got to get him cool. Mm. All right. So, so he says, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take that big pot. We're going to put it under the chimney. There's only one way in. I got reinforced doors and shutters. And uh, by explaining the situation, second piggy's getting calmer. And he gives him a task. Go wash the dishes. Third piggy sits in his chair. He reads Sun Tzu's The Art of War. He comes to his favorite <laughs> line. He says, prepared, I await the unprepared. Mm. Third piggy, third, the wolf comes, blows on the door. Little piggy says, do your worst. Mm. He knows what's going to happen. Wolf goes to the roof, jumps down the chimney, ends up in the pot, gets cooked. Now, if the piggy had stopped there, he would be robust. His house didn't get blown down, didn't benefit them. But the anti-fragile piggy, he pulled the wolf out made a coat, went into town, and everybody wants to know, where did you get that coat? <laughs> and he says, and then all the, the, the young Sal's say, that's an eligible bachelor right there. And the people in Piggy Town say, you know, how do I, that's the guy to listen to. That's making mayor. Mm-hmm. The business piggies want to do business with him. So now he has got this anti-fragility. He's turned his situation to his advantage. He didn't get blown down. He benefited. Mm. what was a crisis for the first two piggies was just opportunity for him because opportunity favors the prepared. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's incredible analogy. And one of the reasons why I appreciate incredible subject matter experts on the show, Ron, is because they are able to break down something that is complex to most in a way that allows them to implement it immediately with actionable steps. Right. And what you just shared is so awesome and the way that we can look at that third piggy i've never even considered a story uh that we've heard it a million times right but the ending of that story the piggy takes the wolves uh turns it into a coat and goes into town (laughs) it's just brilliant anti-fragility i think it's can be summarized as how well are you prepared for a crisis um and, and that's just to scratch the surface on my takeaway from it but what would you say are a couple of practical steps that people can take then, practical steps right. that they can take to free themselves from fear and become more anti-fragile? Okay, so like I said, opportunity favors the prepared, right? Mm-hmm. So we build our inner citadel with the skills. So anti-fragility is both a mindset and a skill set. And we, we build these skills until they become automatic, like a martial art, mm-hmm. Right. And I have a protocol I'm going to go through real quick in the sense of your car breaking down Okay. in the night. You're driving down the road, car's making noise. Okay, what's going on? Your body's going to get triggered, mm-hmm. right? What's going on? Change. Crisis to change. And so what you got to do is you got to quickly reframe the situation before you get a bad attitude. So good, this is an opportunity to train. Then bam, you got to deal with states. You got to deal with your mental state you got to deal with your physical state so that you are in a place where you can make good decisions. 
then you got to handle the situation. And I got an acronym from that, learned it from the Marine Corps, assess situation, identify options, so decide on a course of action, execute. Mm-hmm. You do that, then you get to the end, you keep yourself cool by having gratitude for the situation. That's awesome. You know, one of the things that I want people to know is that you are available um, for not only speaking, but obviously coaching and a lot of uh, podcasting because the, the information that you're giving is it's killer. What, what I want to know is where can people track you down to get more of your goodness uh, on a personal level? Uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. Hit me up on my website, Arrow Coaching LLC. Mm-hmm. At, it's www.arrowperformancecoach.com. And uh, you'll find me there. I've got a Facebook page. I'm still filling it out. Okay. Uh, but you'll see a lot of content on LinkedIn if you follow me there. Folks, Ron Holloway, the CEO and founder of Arrow Coaching, as you can tell, the man has knowledge, the experience, and a ridiculous resume to come along with it. And you can track him down through all those uh, mediums, and I'm sure that you'll find him very, very helpful. In the meantime, folks, we're going to be right back after the break. Hi, this is Lynn Ellis with EcoFriends Organic Pest Control. Everyone wants to be healthy and is making tremendous efforts to be healthy and stay healthy through their diet, their cleaning products, lifestyle. But if you use any other type of pest control besides a green organic pest control, you have just undone everything you did. Visit us at ecofriendspestcontrol.com. That's ecofriends.com. Are you feeling stuck, unfulfilled, and wanting more? Frustrated you're not far enough along in your business, finance, relationships, or your health? My name is Luke Harlan, and I'm a transformational mindset coach helping people just like yourself confidently thrive in whatever area they focus on. And I invite you to attend my free master class where you'll learn how to master your thoughts, feelings, beliefs, and actions to achieve the life you've always imagined. Simply go to LukeHarlanCoaching.com to register. That's LukeHarlanCoaching.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Excited about our next guest. Rudy Federico, not only because Rudy Federico is a 30-year veteran of franchising and he's the owner of Franchise with Rudy, but as we're having a conversation about many expressions of freedom, there is freedom to be found through the concept of franchising. As you heard our prior guest, Josh Polly, talk about freedom through entrepreneurship, it's one thing to speak about it in concept, but there's a whole other experience to, to really implement and seek out the freedom that entrepreneur could bring you and franchising is certainly one of those areas. So we are here to speak with subject matter expert, a 30 year veteran of franchising who's helped open over 750 franchises for other people. In addition to owning two franchises himself. So we're looking to have him on the line today to talk about franchising and the freedom that it brings. Rudy Frederico, Rudy, welcome to the Jay Mamie talk show. Jay, thank you. Great to be on with you. Thanks a bunch and looking forward to our chat. Rudy, before we jump into why franchising is an expression of freedom, I'd like for our listeners to learn a little bit more about your journey. Well, I'm a 32-year veteran of franchising, worked my way up through uh, operations, uh, spent 10 years in sales and development for a couple of different companies before going independent and associating myself with the franchise consulting company. Mm-hmm. Today, I help people find the right company to associate themselves with by representing over 325 brands. And um, I also help 
local companies become franchises. So we're, we're helping entrepreneurs achieve their dreams in a lot of different ways. What was it initially, though, that inspired you not only to, to get involved in helping others with franchising, uh, what inspired you to do that? Because 30 years ago, franchising wasn't as hot as it is today. No, it's, uh, it certainly wasn't. But back in the day, I really kind of backed into it through uh, getting promoted. I was working in corporate operations, came mm-hmm. up as a manager trainee, a district manager trainee, took over a district, uh, got promoted into franchising to use my experience running stores to teach franchise owners how to run their stores. That led into uh, opening over 450 check cashing and financial service centers around the country. And I've just never looked back, just been in franchising, helping folks achieve their dreams ever since. So you've helped a lot of people open franchises over 30 years. So there, there has to be, I would imagine, a number of different examples of, of people that you have helped receive and achieve freedom through their own business. Uh, is there anyone that comes to mind that you can recall that, that brings a smile to your face? You know, there's, there's a couple of folks that, you know, as an operator in the, in the check cashing space, helping folks who were struggling, figuring out what was going on, solving the problem for them to be able to make sure that they don't uh, fall to the wayside in that process. Uh, I've had several of those over the years. My most recent was probably a gentleman that I'd worked with, introduced him to a concept called Window Genie. Window Genie mm-hmm. does uh, interior and exterior window cleaning, gutter cleaning, pressure washing, things like that. And he started out with a crew of two and a truck and started cleaning some windows. Three years into the business, he's got three trucks, a crew of six. Wow. Uh, very successful business, off and running. Um, I introduced him even to the Frisco, Texas Chamber of Commerce, and his business has gotten so busy, he doesn't even have time to participate in the chamber with us any longer. So, uh, he's had great success with that, and I'm very excited for him and, and to have set him off on that journey uh, through what I do today, which is plugging people into the right concept to fit their goals and dreams. Yeah, there must be something to be said about seeing people take a leap of faith, right? Because franchising and getting involved in franchising, as you and I got to speak about soon, um, it, it is there is a degree of faith, there's a degree of risk, and I, I imagine for you seeing that from the front end and all through to the end where this individual now has a, has a great lifestyle, they're comfortable, they're, they're confident, and they're free because they made a decision to get involved in a franchise. I know for you, that's the extra added bonus. That's, it's a huge bonus. And, uh, you know, add to that the fact that not only are these folks successful in their business, but then they're creating jobs for other people. So mm-hmm. we're, we're constantly in the, in the arena of creating more jobs and opportunities for people to achieve whatever level of success that they're, they're seeking. And that's a great point. Someone has success in franchising. What they're doing is creating an ecosystem that involves other people having employment. So it isn't uh, so much for the glory of one person. It really is for the benefit of a community. So it's a wonderful aspect of it. But franchising comes along with misconceptions, right? And you mentioned franchising. People think back to or imagine the traditional franchises, the 7-Elevens, the, the fast food chains. But how are people today misunderstanding and have misconceptions of franchising? The, the first one you just mentioned, which is the fact that most people think franchising is fast food. Uh, mm-hmm. And in reality, franchising uh, in the food space is only about 28 to 30% of 
uh, the 4,000 franchise opportunities that are out there, only that small segment, about a third, less than a third, fit into the food space. Uh, there's lots of opportunities in home services, in automotive services, tax preparation, um, just all kinds of different things that as you just drive down the road, you'll see different locations. I drive down the road and I see one franchise after another lined mm. up down these strip centers, uh, home-based businesses uh, that, you know, they're not all retail. That's, that's misconception number two. They're not all retail. They're not all high rent, uh, those kinds of things. Um, that, that's generally not the case. The, the next b- biggest misconception is I don't have the money. Uh, there's lots of mm-hmm. different ways of getting the money to get these things started, and you just have to have the conversation. If you're interested in, in doing something for yourself uh, but not by yourself, which is kind of a, a catchphrase in franchising, then mm-hmm. um, let's have that conversation and come up with show you some of the creative ways that, that money is available to uh, maybe get something started on the side while you're still working or uh, whatever. So uh, lots of different ways to, to be able to get into a business whether it's full-time or on the side, owner-operator or semi-absentee, the variables are are, are endless, but it starts with that conversation. You know, part of the misconception, uh, and you touched on two big ones, because I do hear those misconceptions often, but the other two that I think comes along with those two are where people have a concern about time. They think that they have to give up the rest of, of of what they're doing with work and family uh, to get involved in a franchise. So time, I think, becomes a factor or at least a concern. But the other concern that I hear a lot about as far as misconception is that people think that they have to know everything about the industry that they're buying a franchise in. And uh, I, I, I've heard that's not the case, but could you elaborate? Absolutely. That's certainly not the case because it's the responsibility of the franchisor, the parent company, to teach people the intricacies of their particular brand. That's what you're paying for by, by paying a uh, upfront franchise fee. You're paying for their learning. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like going to college, right? It's, it's the same kind of thing. The other key to that is you got to be coachable going into it. So you have to be That's willing right. to accept the fact that the franchisor has been down the path. They've learned over the years what to do, and they're going to teach you the right way to do it going forward. So open your mind up to following the program. It's not broken. It doesn't require you to come in and fix it. Uh, so just get on board, get on the train, follow the, the, the path down the track. And then once you've learned more about the business, then certainly you can uh, bring tips or ideas to the table. Uh, a good franchisor is always going to be open to that. The, the quarter pounder came from a franchisee back in the mm-hmm. day. But, but it came from a franchisee who'd been in the business for several years and figured out this was something else that we needed to add to the menu. So you, you got to give the franchisor time to coach you and teach you, learn the business, follow the program, just be coachable. And then once you become experienced in the, the industry that you've purchased into, then your ideas and, and strategies and those kinds of things are going to be more welcome because uh, it could be to the benefit of the system as a whole. Yeah, that's brilliant advice. Fantastic advice, Rudy. And one of the things I think that people need to know is that, yeah, there's upside to franchising, but there's also downside. And over the course of 30 years and and helping 750 people open a franchises, I'm sure that you have identified the flaws, the flaws that franchise shoppers make, 
that often becomes their own downfall. It's to their own detriment. What would you say are the flaws that you've seen that do become uh, a franchisee's downfall? It's very possible for a franchisee to be too entrepreneurial. And what okay. I mean by that is the, the person who founded the company was, was the entrepreneur with the spirit to really take the risk and see if they can figure out how to make something out of an idea. The franchisee coming in should be coachable to the idea that I'm buying into a now proven concept and I'm just going to come follow the program. I do not need to reinvent it. So okay. the, follow the program, follow the advice of the franchisor. Uh, I've been, you know, as a field operative, travel to stores. I see how they wait on customers. I see how they merchandise their store. I see how they've tried to put their own little spin on things. And my advice is just go back to the basics and follow the program. Um, you, know, you haven't been doing this long enough to have an opinion yet is, is really what it, and not to be rude to that person, but we've been doing this for a really long time. Why do you think you need, after paying us a bunch of money, that you need to fix it because it's not broken. So that's why you mentioned that. Program, yeah. Buy into it, stick with the program. Um, the other thing is there's no uh, shortcut to marketing and promoting your business. And a mm -hmm. lot of people, when they, when they want to take some shortcuts, what they do is they back off the marketing dollars because they think that's not necessary when, especially when things are not going well, that's the time to double down on marketing dollars. That's when you really need to promote. If you're in, you've got to be all in. And so promote your business, make every effort you can, be smart about it, but make mm -hmm. every effort you can from a marketing standpoint to continue to drive for the desired result. Uh, doubling marketing dollars should double outcome. And if that's really the goal, then the converse is also true. When you cut marketing dollars, you're going to cut your output in half. You're going to cut your production in half, not increase it. So it's not really a savings. It's an, it's an investment with a measurable return. And so staying focused on the marketing dollars is, a, is another thing that I see a lot of people do and I think is a big mistake. Rudy, in our last couple of minutes here, I want to ask you two questions. Someone might be interested, but they say, I don't have the money. So can someone obtain financing to buy a franchise? And if, if so, where do they go for that financing, typically? Most franchise companies are on the SBA registry. So the Small Business Administration, a division of our federal government, uh, will back loans through local banks. So you go to your local banks. I'm interested in an SBA loan. The SBA has certain guidelines. Uh, and the first thing they do is they check to see if that franchise is on the SBA registry. Most of them are. Once they're on the registry and you've got decent credit and a anywhere from 10 to 30 percent uh, injection of cash into the total project, uh, we'll get you financing that, from a local bank that's guaranteed by the SBA. Uh, that can also be partnered with your down payment. doesn't necessarily have to be money in your checking account. It can come from retirement money. There are ways of leveraging retirement money, 401k money, things like that, that you can access without penalty or taxation. And you just have to talk to somebody who knows about those things, like myself, who can mm -hmm. coach through that process and show you how to make that money available uh, to partner with an SBA loan and be able to uh, launch your own new business. Well, there's no doubt about it. The franchising industry is booming um, and you are the a pioneer. So I encourage people to reach out to, to Rudy. They can track you down at franchisewithrudy.com. 
Hey, brother, you've been a gold mine of information. We're going to have you back in the future to give us more of a follow-up on franchising and the power that it's happening and how it's helping people become free uh, from the corporate life. So I appreciate you, and I hope that sometime soon in the future you'll come back. I'd be happy to, Jay. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate your time. Folks, we'll be right back after the break. We are living in a world that is changing rapidly. It can be volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Is also ripe with opportunity for those with prepared minds. I'm Ron Holloway, founder and owner of Aero Coaching LLC. Through coaching, consulting, and training, I help individuals and organizations develop the ability to recognize change and quickly adapt so they can be the fittest in their environment. If you're interested in learning more, check out Aero Coaching LLC at aeroperformancecoach.com. Hi, this is AJ with AmericanTopAttorneys.com. Have you ever had the need to get legal advice? We have created a platform where you as a consumer can find the top attorneys in America. You can search for top-rated attorneys in over 176 legal practice areas. You can search by city, state, and even zip code for free. Every time you use our site, it helps us fund scholarships to deserving students. If you need an attorney, search where America finds its top attorneys. Visit AmericanTopAttorneys.com to search now. Are your sales lagging? Are you frustrated with your ability to effectively communicate the goodness of your product or service? Could your income greatly benefit from you getting better at selling? Hi, this is Jay Mamie, the host of the Jay Mamie Talk Show and the curator of the Thrive Sales Mastery Course. I want you to know that there are answers on how you can get better at the skill of selling. Go to my course, the Thrive Sales Mastery Course. Get the answers you need so you can experience the results you want. Thrive Sales Mastery. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Having a fantastic show, and we're going to wrap up our final segment here with one of our national sponsors, EcoFriends Pest Control, and Lynn Ellis, the founder of that company. She's here today to give us tips and insight and just helpful advice, actionable advice on what a lot of people today are, are really challenged by is because it's summertime here in the U.S., or even if it's summertime wherever you are, or eventually you'll have summertime wherever you are around the country when you happen to listen to the show, there is no one immune from pests and pests that come to to do damage to our backyards and, and our homes. And, and if you're like my wife, she just hates them. So I thought Lynn, the subject matter expert, would be a fantastic person to pick her brain on a couple of tips that she can do to help us have a better experience in our homes and our backyards and our corporate offices with these nasty little creepy crawlers. Lynn, welcome back to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. I am happy to be here, Jay. Thank you for having me. Lynn, I want you to share with our listeners some of your wisdom and helpful tips and advice that can can help us deal with uh, with these little critters a little better. Well, there's a lot more to pest control and just besides treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are things the homeowner can do that will help them with their pests. And this actually is a certified service called integrated pest management. And what that is, that is what can be done to either keep the pests under control or out of the home without treatment. And bugs and insects are what they are. They're going to find a way. But these things make a big, big difference in people's lives. When you say 
that there's things that people can do. It's almost like like bug management, <laughs> right? Yeah. In order to simple. Yeah. So so share with us that, and and also before we wrap up, I I think it's good for people to know why taking an eco friendly approach uh, to dealing with pests is is more uh, is equally as important um, to be aware of. Yes, it's definitely healthier. Mm-hmm. Uh, the toxicity level of green organic product is significantly lower than the lowest mixture of any synthetic chemical. And they both work. But which one do you want to live with is the question. Mm-hmm. And what integrated pest management, one of the things I tell my clients, they can do it themselves or they can hire us to do it, is caulk, foam, steel wool are your best friends. Can you repeat that again? Caulk, foam, steel wool are your best friends. As a homeowner, depending on your foundation, you if you're on slab, you have weep hoes. Those come right into the walls of your house. Mm-hmm. And you have to have them so the house can breathe. Putting steel wool in there makes it very, very difficult for anything to get through. You don't want to put it solid. You just want to put it in there to stop the bugs from coming in. Uh, Foam, there are certain types of foams to be used, and we use a builder foam found over by the wood section in Home Depot or Lowe's. Uh, That is an area you want to put it because it's not pretty, and you need to take your time. Don't hurry. Take your time with it. Let it expand and fill it in. Um, and then you can take like a putty knife and trim the excess off. But my favorite is the caulk. I cannot do caulk. My husband can do a perfect beat. Well, you know, there's a lot of people. They need to do it and can't afford to pay someone. So I tell them to get the clear caulk. Wear gloves and old clothes. I have to because I'm going to get it all over me. And you put it where the bugs are coming in, and it dries clear. Mm. You can't see how messy you were. Mm. We appreciate you being not only a sponsor of this program, but also somebody that brings valuable, actionable, implementable wisdom to to our daily lives, which help us to, to thrive. That's what it's all about. Folks, that wraps up another fantastic week of Thrive-Minded Contact. We loaded up today on Independence Day weekend. I hope that you understand there's multiple expressions of freedom that you can experience in your life. Until next week, keep thriving.